are many things. You can do many things. Um, being a creative person can go beyond one bubble of work. If that's playing piano, for example, you're a musical person. What else can that translate into? And if you say yes to those opportunities, you, I think you start to find that you can do lots of things. Hello and welcome back to Meeting Musos. If this is the first time that you've checked out the podcast, then welcome. Thank you. Make sure you check out the other episodes that are also available. And if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe and you'll be kept up to date whenever new episodes become available, which at the moment is weekly, every Monday. My name is Mark McDonald. I'm a musical director and a pianist and this is the podcast where I meet up with and chat to different professional musicians and we chat all about their lives and their careers in the music industry. This week I catch up with fellow Scott and a fellow MD, Lindsay Miller. Lindsay's had a, a really varied career over the last decade or so. She's worked as a musical director, a composer, sound designer and a keyboard programmer, among many other things. She was recently an MD for a season at the Royal Shakespeare Company and was also working on a number of virtual productions over the last year during the course of the pandemic. In this conversation, we talk about everything from her training in Scotland to what it was like living in North Korea for two years, uh, which is not something that many people can say that they've done. Really, really interesting to hear all about that. Enjoy the conversation. You are um, obviously very successful musical director, composer, uh, living the freelance dream. But something that is unusual about your story that always stands out to me is is your time in North Korea. Um, because I, I don't know anyone else, let alone any other musicians who, who, <laughs> who have done that. How did that come about? Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that I think will forever follow me <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of my life. Um, so basically, my husband works for the FCO um, and there is a British embassy based out there, which I didn't even know about until we were going. Um, and it's uh, based in Pyongyang, along with at least 80, I think, other organisations charities embassies that are based out there um and yeah he just came home and said oh this job's come up I'm gonna apply for it should we go for it wow. <laughs> I just went all right <laughs> um and that's how that happened and that was in 2017 so we left in um sort of spring 2017 traveled out there and came back in 2019 and spent two years there um which was a pretty amazing experience and totally life-changing um so yeah not <laughs> not one of the usual places and people say where have you lived yeah um, it's kind of a bit of a um farce a lot of people don't believe me as well when i tell them and often when i say north korea they go oh right seoul's lovely isn't it yeah and I go, no <laughs> no it's the, it's the other one did you manage to to go into south korea while you were there or were you did you have to stay in the country I did, yeah. I mean, you can't, um, you can't obviously travel from north to south directly. You have to go uh, via some other route. So most often, to get in and out of the country, we would fly through Beijing, 
like right. most people do, um, and catch a, a one hour, one and a half hour flight from Beijing to Pyongyang. But to go to Seoul, we just went through Beijing. It was on a, one of our trips um, and enjoyed traveling a lot around East Asia and Southeast Asia. It was amazing. And it was quite incredible because when we were in Seoul, we spent a few days there, but also visited the demilitarized zone from the south. But we'd already been to it from the north side. Mm. So having that experience of getting to know North Korea in as much as you can in um, a diplomatic capacity um, and having that as your kind of benchmark for comparing South Korea was really interesting because mm. I'd seen the DMZ from the north but never from the south. So when I saw it from the south, it was a completely different experience and meeting South Korean people was really interesting. Um, having got to know North Korean people yeah. first before ever getting to know someone from South Korea. So it was it was fascinating and I absolutely love Seoul. It's such a wonderful place. People are so friendly, food's great. Um, it's just so full, rich of culture and art and music and um, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to to work there for about six months um, in 2013, and mm. because obviously the the as you say, it's so full of music and culture and art and, and something that's really big there at the moment is the the Western musical theatre mm. um so, and i know i've got a lot of friends now who have also been there to work um in some capacity in the art so but it's really interesting to have had the north experience first did you find Absolutely. was there a big difference in the um in the people did you find that same sort of friendliness and warmth with north koreans yeah i mean it's it's obviously a very different situation because in north korea it's not as if you can um, just freely have open conversations with North Korean people. You have to obviously be very sensitive to what they are comfortable talking about and put them first in that and not making them feel out of place or that you're trying to get at them for something. Just as, I mean, as you would do with anyone, but it's obviously more important there. Um, but they are absolutely that generosity, kindness, very funny, um, very musical, um, is, is is exactly the same as as people that I was really fortunate to have met while in South Korea as well. Love of food and karaoke and singing and <laughs> community um, is just really it's just so joyful um, in so many ways, and um, that's definitely something that I took away from it. When I remember sitting in a restaurant in Seoul in one of the the streets um, I can't remember the name of it but it's known for its street foods and it was absolutely pouring wet with rain and I went in to get a few beers and some chicken and I was just sitting in the the window looking out to the street and I was watching these uh, three men talk to each other um, in the street in the rain just kind of patting each other on the back having a really nice conversation and I just thought god see if you to, if they were wearing different coats and they were wearing different shirts, it's it was just quite amazing to feel the feel the closeness of of how similar people are mm -hmm. in their human spirit, but they're obviously either side of of this the DMZ and in completely different cultures and yeah. but there's so much that that obviously connects them. They're just I mean that's the thing I think North North Korean people are people. Mm. Um, and they love their family and they want the best 
for their family and their children um as far as i could as i could see and um yeah it was fascinating yeah i read a really um, one of the best books I've ever read, actually, I, I was given it as a, a gift when I was in Korea. Um, it's called Nothing to Envy by Barbara mm-hmm. Demick. Have you read it? I have, yeah. It's just incredible. And as you say, that's when you when you see the sort of human side of this and everything that's gone on between that, you know, that landmass and um, mm-hmm. what is now those two countries, at the heart of it, you've you've got real people on either side of it who have so much in common um so it's yeah it would just be great to see that whole situation somehow at some point in the future be be resolved and for them to be reunited again absolutely i think it's such a complicated issue and a very painful and sad issue and um there's so i'm very very much of the mind that it's important that people read as much as possible about the place. So there's actually quite a lot of information about life in North Korea and um, some really, I mean, really powerful writing from those who have lived there and have left. Um, There's, you know, there's also material, there's a writer called Bandy, which is the Korean word for firefly, who is allegedly a North Korean poet who has had work smuggled out of North Korea and published. Um, and there's a book of poetry and a book of short stories that were published um, of his writing. And allegedly he is still in North Korea. Wow. Um, and I think it's really important that we all take the responsibility to learn as much as possible and to feel connected to, to, to these people. Um, Cause I feel like it's very easy to look at m- pictures of missiles and the headlines and the leadership and that's also important to be aware of and to question and to be curious about but it's really really important to listen to the people themselves and um what they have to say um especially those who have have left and and now have the opportunity to be heard honestly and truth in a truthful way yeah, it's it's somewhere that's just fascinated me ever since since I worked there, and I'm going to have to get a list of recommendations from you about stuff I should now read because that's <laughs> totally fascinating. Um, I you, have a long, long list. <laughs> <laughs> you so aside from karaoke, was there any sort of opportunity for music making while you were there? Did you become involved in anything artistic or creative while you were out there? So it's quite it's quite difficult, and the the concept of artistry out there is something that I still question. Um, is really difficult to understand because obviously, as an artistic person, it's about your voice and what you have to say and how you connect with something and and trying to connect with the truthfulness of of being a human being in a particular moment and capturing that, whether it be through a painting or a photograph or a song, um, and it's in an environment where you can't freely express yourself. That's something I always questioned was to what extent can somebody connect with music that there, you know, it's been decided what you can, can't sing um, what you can and can't recite. Um, so it's interesting. I did have the opportunity to go to one of the universities there, which is a um, music university 
um, and someone I knew within the international community was taking singing lessons there and was the only international to have ever taken singing lessons at this institution or at any institution really. Um, there's people who take who teach um, their native language to North Koreans within universities there, but nobody who had gone to a place, an arts college or anything like that. So I was invited in for the day to have a tour around the university, to observe some singing lessons, to observe this person's singing lesson. And we pulled up in the car and I was met by a lovely man who ran the school who'd actually was a pianist and had studied in Poland for two years um, and just spoke about Poland with such fond memories. Um, I was really excited to meet someone else who also played piano um, and they showed me around the school. It was just like any other university you've been to, you know, the music happening in every room, walking down corridors and you have traditional music in one room and you've got someone singing, you know, the the North Korean pop songs mm. in another room, someone practicing a guitar, someone practicing an accordion. Um, and he showed us around, observed a singing lesson, got to meet a teacher who had spent uh, quite a few years in China teaching singers there and I got to talk to her and watch her work and it was really interesting um in talking to them because they didn't really understand what it was that I did (laughs) um when they said you know so you're so you're a piano player and I said I am but I I also conduct and they went oh so you're a conductor I said well that's part of it um and, and I was trying to sort of explain what a musical director was and 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 what I'd studied um and how I trained and and it there's no equivalent there yeah. so it was it was difficult to get them to understand but we had a lovely conversation and I remember um because this student she was working with I was also giving singing lessons to the same person as to kind of help her out during the week um and the teacher came up to me at the end of the lesson and just took me by the hands and and uh, an interpreter said um, that she'd said, you know, we, I'm really looking forward to working together to help develop um, the student's voice. And um, I'm so happy to collaborate with you. And it was just a lovely moment. Yeah. Um, and even though the words of propaganda songs are those being sung, again, you wonder how much people are connecting with a different level of, of that music, maybe. Yeah, that, um, that music sort of crosses those language barriers and political things. Absolutely. And, and it's something that speaks to everyone. Absolutely. It was a really lovely experience. Um, I mean, I should definitely say as well that Pyongyang is unique in, in that it is where the elite of North Korean society live. And so the, see, yeah. the experience I had was my my own and it's going to be different for everybody who's who's been there. But um, it's obviously not going to be the case in other parts of the country, but um, certainly that that moment was really special. I'll definitely keep that with me. Hmm. In terms of your career, um, because obviously before you went to live in North Korea, you were already working, had a successful career here in the UK. How how much of a part of your decision to go uh, was affected by that? Because obviously to take two years out and go and live in a country where there are going to be very few opportunities 
to make music, let alone to, to continue your own career in it. How did that work out when, when you came back to the UK? Were you able to sort of step back into what you were doing or did you feel that you had mm. reset slightly and have to start from a blank slate again? It was definitely a blessing in disguise, actually, because I'd been working so hard for such a long time. And as I think, you know, so many people in our industry can identify with a job comes up, you take the job Mm. Um, wherever it is. You you travel there. You might not have a holiday for years on end because you're you're just working. And when it when that opportunity came up. I was actually in a place where I'd been working so much. I was starting to feel trapped and starting to feel not myself anymore. And I wasn't feeling particularly inspired creatively. Um, and I just, I just felt trapped is the best word I can use to describe it. So when that opportunity came up to travel somewhere else, at first I was really hesitant because as you say, I thought, wow, two years out, how do you what do you do do you can you can you rebuild do you have to rebuild can you press pause do how does this work um and I was really scared about that and I actually didn't want to go for a number of months and I made the decision to go quite last minute much to my husband's annoyance (laughs) uh, which caused a bit of an admin nightmare um but I've I'd been really determined not to go for a while but kind of came around and thought this is an amazing opportunity and I need this I need a break I need to I need to allow myself to go somewhere else physically and creatively and if that means having a break for a while on that's fine and it definitely taught me to trust my gut instinct and trust myself and trust everyone all says like trust the process and that definitely was a case of that like I'm not happy I need a change here is a change staring me in the face let's let's do it and um while i was there um it it was towards the end of my time there when i was then contacted to um work for the royal shakespeare company um which was absolutely amazing and i just couldn't believe it i just i and i hadn't resigned myself to the fact i wouldn't be working at all because i i wanted to and i'd made the decision while i was away that the type of work I wanted to do would be different to that I'd already done. I wanted to do more plays. I wanted to write some more music. I wanted to collaborate on different kinds of projects. And um, I don't know if the universe manifested it or whatever happens, but um, I got that that message and, and ended up coming back and coming into that job, which was just incredible. And I feel really fortunate as well for that to have happened. I, I really, I want to ask you a lot about the work at the RSC um, because it's just one of those iconic places in this country Mm. to to have the opportunity to work. Every time I sort of see what you're up to on, you know, social media and stuff, it all, and you sort of touched on this already about, you know, when stuff comes along, you say yes to it and it's, it's busy, busy, busy. And it's one thing Mm. to the next, but you always seem to find these lovely or what appear to be lovely little, really creative jobs where you're, and, and you're in, Involved in many different ways, either as a composer, as the MD, mm-hmm. sometimes as both sound design, keyboard programming. Do you do you enjoy that wider creative process um, as opposed to if you compare that to, to some of the work that I've done where I've been on a, a long running show for 
a number of years. Do do you prefer that variety? I do, and I think I think the I think my focus will change. My what I want to do will change, and I've definitely learned to listen to myself. If I at the moment I'm really enjoying writing and creating new material and collaborating with people on plays, um, like I'm doing at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's just listening to myself and going, where, where do I want to be now? What do I want to be doing? And working at RSC was, was wonderful for so many reasons. Um, one of them being meeting people there, actors and, and creative teams there who also do lots of different things. Um, I mean, for example, as well, I'm, I've been producing a book, which is coming out in May and writing that about my time in North Korea. And that's, um, so available to pre-order now. Um, <laughs> and uh, on all good websites, such as Waterstones. <laughs> What's the um, title of the book? It's called North Korea Like Nowhere Else. Amazing. Um, and it's a photography and it's got short st- photography book, got short stories, Um but people I've met along the way have always been very encouraging to say, like, you are many things. You can do many things. Um, being a creative person can go beyond one bubble of work. If that's playing piano, for example, you're a musical person. What else can that translate into? Um, and if you say yes to those opportunities, you, I think you start to find that you can do lots of things. Um and that's definitely been the case for me. And I love the variety. I love being able to work with different people and and collaborate with different ideas. And uh, yeah, so definitely variety for me is is something I really enjoy. And in terms of security from a career point of view and even a financial point of view, do you have anything that's sort of always there that's ticking along in the background, like a regular teaching thing? Or is it literally just always jumping from project to project and, and then trying to fill in the gaps between with other things? It's always, I mean, I think there's always been gaps um, here and there and I, I love teaching and I'm very fortunate to do work, a lot of work with Mountview in London. So that's what I'm doing at the moment, teaching some work there and doing some shows there as well. Um, so I definitely try and do that as much as I can because also I enjoy it. Um, so it never feels like it's necessarily in the background, but it, it's just having the opportunity to do that. Again, I will always jump to it because it's, it's just really fun and it's nice to work with new people. Mm. Um, so that would definitely be my my usual thing. But I have done, I mean, the last contract, which like so many people, unfortunately, was cut short due to COVID, um, was working on the RSC season. That was a long, a long stint. Um, over a year we spent on on that show and that's definitely the longest I've spent on one project. Um, but my view is great and I would always take the opportunity and say to anybody else to just take opportunities as and when they come up. Yeah. It, so in terms of the RSC job then, how, I mean, you said you were asked about it while you were still living in North Korea. How did that, mm. how did that come about? What was the connection there? How did, how did they come to, to discover you and ask you to, to be considered for it? So it's interesting because I, I, I used to work at Mountview. I was on staff at Mountview years ago, and that was before I'd left to go to North Korea in the lead up to that decision to to move on. Um, and my former boss had actually put me forward for that and um, had said, you know, I'm just letting you know, I've had a conversation. Um, the RSC would love to work with a female MD, which is great. 
um and really good to hear um and she said you know i've suggested you and um you might expect to get a message in the next few days and i did and um the absolutely wonderful bruce um head of music at rsc got in touch with me and asked me on board and i just couldn't believe it i mean it's one of those it's it's such an incredible house of creativity known all over the world and you just think you, you just think back to all those times playing piano for Kenny Muir Amateur Operatic Society <laughs> <laughs> or like doing my graded exams or whatever you know in school or and you just you just kind of go wow look look how look how much things can change yeah all of know? a sudden you're at the Royal Shakespeare Company I know it's just crazy amazing and and were you there as a composer as well as an MD or were you working with existing material so it's quite an amazing place at RSC because the plays that they produce have original scores each time they're performed um, even if they've been performed several times in the past and they're all archived as well so you, and a lot of them are on Spotify and you can listen to them they're amazing um, so there's the, the setup is that each show will have a composer assigned to the show um, as well as an MD and so it was pretty amazing in that I got to work with three composers and um, we had three plays in the season Taming of the Shrew, As You Like It and Measure for Measure and just got to work with three wonderful people creating completely different types of music um, we also got to record those on CDs as well um, which are also on Spotify and all good streaming sites <laughs> um, and it create you know these composers create something from nothing and it's it's unique to that production and it's live music as well all of the shows are with live musicians which is also fantastic um the use of any kind of clicks or it's kept to an absolute minimum if at all and it's such a lovely place to work. It, I always describe it as like a woolly jumper, a warm woolly jumper, where you just feel so at home and happy to to be around so many generous and creative people. So working with those composers, it was Ruth Chan um, wrote music for Taming the Shrew, Paul Englishby for Measure for Measure and Tim Sutton for As You Like It. Wow, um, so a cool. nice lineup of composers as well. Oh, it was great. And all three completely different types of scores. Yeah. Um, And you just get to do, you know, three plays in rep and play completely different types of music every day. And it's great. Yeah. And it keeps you on your toes as well. And were you working with the same same musicians across the three productions as well? So we had, um, I think it was six we had in the band, including me on keys. Um, and some doubled on other instruments so our bass player played double bass and electric bass um i doubled on accordion our fantastic woodwind player played about seven <laughs> different instruments including accordion um but we worked with the same band as as our core band but on measure for measure we didn't have a violin we had a cellist that came in and swapped right. on that chair but everybody else remained the same so mm. it was really lovely a really good strong team of people sounds like the perfect gig it's really nice it was, it was just it was just great i can't praise it enough as a place to work and um the work they produce is also fantastic i remember sitting in a rehearsal for measure for measure and just it was just a run through it was one of the first run throughs they'd done and i was one of two or three people watching 
Um, and I was just gobsmacked. <laughs> I just couldn't, you just moments you just sit there going, my goodness, like just watching these incredible actors in front of you. And you feel like you're the only person in the room watching. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing. So obviously that came to a bit of an abrupt end with the lockdown mm. in the spring last year. Is it somewhere that you, it sounds like you would love to continue working there. Is that, is that something that's likely to happen? Do they, do they have that sort of loyalty with people who work for them? And also you worked on those plays specifically, but the RSC are also really big on producing new musicals now as well. Um, obviously with the success of Matilda mm-hmm. and I know that the boy in the dress is something that they've got happening um, sooner rather than later. Is is that something that you think might open up to you at some point now that you've got your foot in the door? Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely love musical theatre, but I've my I'd made when I was away in North Korea, I'd, as I mentioned, I definitely felt drawn more towards plays and working mm. on original music and devising and things like that. So my interest still sits there. Um, they are very much very loyal and and. Um, really good at reaching out and asking if you're available before uh, lockdown in March we'd been mid tour and we'd had some international dates we were supposed to go to Seoul actually was was one of the was one of the places we were heading to as well as Tokyo and Chicago and Washington so that was a shame um that we never got to take um Taming of the Shrew out there but um I had been I had been on board for a couple of other projects with them and one of those um, it was the War of the Roses, which was supposed to be in autumn. Well, now, actually. No, not now. It would have been running about now. Um, but that's been postponed to 2022. Right. So um, I was definitely, definitely still be on board for doing that. Um, yeah. Hopefully it'll go ahead. So that's really exciting. And um, working with Paul Englishby again, which would also just be a joy. Because yeah. he's just a wonderful person to work with. Amazing. Um, you mentioned briefly about part of the the reason that you were approached for that is that the RSC are really keen to work with female musical directors, and that's obviously something that's it's been in the spotlight a little bit in recent years about mm. the number of women who are working in theatre, particularly in orchestras and and as MDs. Um, it feels like now is a really good time for young women to to make that move into the the world of theatre. Did you come up against any? resistance when you when you decided that's the path you wanted to take as a career um i i don't i don't think there's anything directly that i felt um in terms of like a a job or anything that i was discounted for because i was a woman but i definitely felt outnumbered Mm. um and it definitely felt like a very masculine environment and um i think for me the hardest things um, in breaking in has and I think it's getting better now was just that especially you know 10 years ago there were very very few of us and came up a, against a lot of issues with trying to be heard and, and to have a voice in those environments was was really challenging at times um and can still be mm-hmm. if I'm honest um but I would definitely encourage any female musicians to get in touch with as many people as possible because what I've found when I especially when I was in college emailing people and trying to network and get to know people that 
folk are so generous with their time and really supportive and particularly within the MD world actually there's huge support for each other and cheering each other on and and a genuine interest in what each other is up to Um, and I think it's really important to feel part of that and to reach out and to say hey could you want to meet up for a coffee or can I can I just ask what you're up to or and um, a lot of people I messaged were really I mean everybody was willing to do that and um, thank you to all of them for doing that because I wouldn't have had the confidence otherwise um, to keep going with it if no one had responded. Yeah I spoke to Tom Curran recently for mm-hmm. uh, for one of these and he said the same thing basically that and it's something that I've found myself as well that actually just reaching out to people even people who you might consider to be you know way further up the ladder than you at the the peak of their career quite often can be the most generous and just giving that little bit of advice to get you started or helping you along Um, and as you say it is a nice community generally speaking and people do there is an interest in what everyone's doing and helping each other out um so i think i think that's really good advice i'd like to just jump back to your sort of earlier years before you start your professional career um because i know that you you studied languages at university and mm-hmm. then went on to do the uh postgrads uh year at the royal conservatory of scotland in musical direction um what what was the skill set that you realized you had that made you want to go into musical direction rather than you know working as a as a pianist or as a choral conductor was there a specific moment that you can remember where you you re- like everything clicks into place and you realise this is what I need to, as an MD? That's what I should do. Mm. I think that I mean my interest in MDing. I was when I was in school. I'd always played piano and I never liked. I never liked practicing, and the reason was I didn't like playing on my own. I just hated sitting in a room on my own. It was so boring, and I. But whenever anyone came in to listen, I always felt much more engaged with what I was doing. Um, and when I went to high school and joined like local amdram groups and pantos and things, I wanted to be a performer. And um, it just so happened a pianist had dropped out of the musical that year, which was Anything Goes. And my mum just went, "Oh, you play piano? Why don't you have a go?" And I went, "Oh, actually, this is really fun." Yeah. Um, and then the next year. There wasn't a music director for this cabaret show they were doing. And, then, and my mum yet again went, <laughs> oh, why don't you have a go? Um, so I did. And it, and it was great. And I loved that sense of community, which I'd always loved on stage. Um, a feeling of belonging um, when I didn't always feel that way off stage. Um but feeling that in the pit, it felt even stronger. And there was a language there that I had naturally because it always playing had always been part of my life. And at university, we the kind of turning point for me really was I'd similarly to the North Korea thing, I'd I'd done a year abroad as part of my languages degree and um I'd gone through the whole rigmarole of like no, I'm not, you get, you know, the whole proper job thing, which I think is getting better now, but I'd kind of gone to uni and thinking, oh, I can just keep music as a hobby. I didn't know anybody that was involved in the professional industry and we did a year abroad and just went, actually, I want to get involved with some stuff um, while I'm here. I've got two years left at uni. Let's do it. And we ended up doing 
uh, Jerry Springer, the opera and uh, the keys one part was played by Ben Murray, who was studying on the first year, him and Amy Shackloth, another wonderful female MD, were studying on the first year of the course at Royal Scottish. And he came in to play it. And I ended up depping for Royal Scottish on the fringe because I'd just done the show at, at St Andrews. Oh, I see. And Ben had said to me, oh, do you know about this course? Do you know about... Because the MDing thing was very much, as I say, about the community and the language of music with other people and collaborating and, and the joy of that um, beyond just playing piano on my own or just accompanying. It was the whole open opportunity to arrange and keyboard program and the... the so many other things you can do related to MDing. It's just it's amazing the opportunities you can have from this huge skill set. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Ben just said to me, have you ever thought about doing this? And if it hadn't been for Ben Murray saying to me, like I would never have known because at that time, those courses were a very new thing. And yeah, Ben had said, come in and observe some classes if you like. And I remember sitting on the steps outside with a coffee and just being so emotional sitting there going, I I just want to be here. Uh, This is in this environment, Mm. doing this all the time with these kinds of people. This is where I I feel like I belong here. Um, And so I just, I went for it. Um, And it was a great place to go. And it was definitely very valuable because as I say, I lived in a town in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, didn't know anybody, I didn't know, didn't know how you would even go about getting involved professionally in theatre. No contacts, no family contacts, no friends contacts. So if I hadn't been for that, I I don't know what, I'd probably be a modern languages teacher or something, who knows? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and there are now quite a few of those courses around. I know that they're, they're, Royal Academy, um, Mountview do a, a postgrad qualification as mm-hmm. well. I think, um, with with hindsight and with the professional experience that you've now had, how useful do you think that that year of study was, both in terms of developing your own skills, but in terms of the networking opportunities and things as well? Do you, do you think that that is the best route to go down? I think it's one of many routes to go down, and I, I think as with everything and within the your career I think the important thing is to do what's right for you and I had picked at that time there was also the course in London and I'd picked the course in Glasgow because of the experience I'd had like shadowing there and the people I'd met it just felt like a good fit for me um and I think there's definite value in doing them as I say for someone like me who had come from a background of not having had that exposure um to the industry um, through friends or family, uh, it was a really good way of me being able to develop certain skills that I might not have otherwise had the opportunity to do. Um, But the single biggest thing that really helped me was just learning that I I am my own person and it empowered me to own who I am. And I know that sounds a bit obvious, (laughs) but I think it's very easy, particularly on courses where you're in such an intensive environment all the time to compare yourself to other people. And, well, I can't play piano as good as them, or I can't conduct as good as them, or I can't do this, I can't do that. Um, And you're always using other people to gauge where you are with things. It's natural. You're going to do that because those are the people you see every day. Yeah. But it taught me to take myself out of that and to treat myself as an individual person and what I do 
um, is valuable in its own right. And that's really important. And I still try to carry that with me. And I, I've coached some of the MDs on the course at Mount View. And I always say that to them, like feel empowered to own who you are um, and make the right decisions for you and what it is you want to say with your work. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Um, Tim Minchin made a brilliant speech where he people say, he said, you know, people say to me all the time, how do I have a career like you? And he says, you can't have a career like me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yours is going to be different no matter how hard you try to have the same thing because that show's been done. That's been done. I've already, I've written this. It's, that's the joy of it is that everybody, everybody's experience is different. But I think there's definitely value in those courses. Um, and uh, I would, yeah, it's one of many routes you can go down. Um, and I also didn't get in the first time as well. And I've I applied twice. I got in on the second go. And after the first go, I went away and worked for a year doing some shows professionally. And that actually was enabled me to have more, get more out of that course. The, the time in that year that you were there, because you talked about obviously finding your own your own way in all of this, was the was the content of the course able to be tailored to what you need? Because obviously as an, as an MD, we all need different toolboxes for different jobs and, and people will come arrive at that course with different skill sets from the outset. So was the content specific to you or did you all do a bit of everything? So the nice thing I think about these courses is that they take on a small group of people um, which enables you to be able to do different kinds of projects according to the skills that you need to work on at different times throughout the year. So um, among my group, there were five of us on that course um, and everybody worked on different things. And for me, a lot of it, I wanted to get more involved in keyboard programming. So I, And we had a selective amount of hours where we could request what it is we wanted more of. And that was the same for everybody. I also wanted to do some drum lessons and get to know the drum kit a bit better and um they were really accommodating for that and and we got those lessons and we i got those keeper programming tutorials and and so yeah i think i think there is there is a lot of effort made to try and provide that individual one-to-one support i think it's come on a long way since i mean i did the course quite i mean 10 years ago now um so i've come on a lot since then um, and certainly the course at Mountview is the same. It's it's developed hugely and um, prides itself on being able to look after the students as well and um, and their mental health and, and to take that into account as well, which I think is easy to ignore. That's really good to hear because I um, when you hear that there's a course you can do that teaches you to be an MD, I mean, there's there's just no way that there's, there can be a one size fits all approach to that. Really, it's such a um, mixed bag of skills that you need. So, being able to actually go in, recognize what you need to develop or what's useful to you, and and being able to, you know, focus in on those areas over a year sounds like the way to do it. And you know, for people who don't do those courses, who take other routes into the industry, you sort of learn that by doing it on the job. So I guess it's the same mm. same type of environment, but obviously it's in a um, a different setting. Yeah, and I think I think it's like a lot of things. You know, you can you can do a course, but it's up to you how you want to come out of it. Yeah. Um, and it's the same on any job. You know, how much you put in determines how much you get out. Um, and 
I think for me, definitely. I mean, I've seen so many people audition for things and have come back the next year and not got in. And I was that person because <laughs> mm-hmm. it took me two goes to get in. And I, you know, can never say if you're on a panel, like, just keep going. Um, but that's like the biggest thing from that is that if you really want it, just keep going for it and keep working hard. Um, and it's it's for me having that year actually where I didn't get in was actually really valuable. Yeah. Was it in that time that your interest in music technology um, came about or were you already delving into that world in your own time beforehand? I hadn't so much in so much detail. It was through the course that I actually went, oh, this is really cool. Um, Like getting into using Logic and Mainstage and, and seeing, learning a bit more about the instrument actually of the keyboard and the synths and, and how that came about, the development of it. Um, as an idea and what it could do how far you could push sound um was just really interesting to me um and I'd never so I'd never I'd never really investigated that in as much depth before I got into that course and when I started seeing how much you could do with the software and with these instruments just it just blew my mind and ever since then I've been hooked um, I have to be really careful not to buy things because <laughs> I just have so much stuff. Um, but yeah, just be seeing, seeing how much you can stretch an instrument and what you can, what I say, like logic, such a, I use all the time. Um, it's such a powerful tool. And similarly to like keyboards, often you only use like six fifty percent of what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, how much can you push that thing to make certain sounds? Um, so it's always been so since then that was that was the turning point for me was in that one session and in a tiny practice room in Glasgow and someone showed me main stage <laughs> and just going wow that's amazing yeah is is logic your main compositional tool now as well is that how you write I do yeah I've used I, I use Sibelius I haven't moved to Dorico I've I've seen the the a lot of people have started to move over mm-hmm. and um I haven't yet um I mean I still use pen and paper uh, diaries so <laughs> I think it'll take me a while um if I do decide to go that route but yeah Sibelius and Logic are what I primarily work on um I just love what Logic can do I think it's laid out in a very clear way um it's easy to navigate um I do I've used pro tools occasionally but i don't use it a lot and that's moving into kind of different um i think more like mixing and things like that that i don't do so much of and so i but i find that what logic offers i'm able to do what i need through that um and yeah the the amount of samples you can buy and plugins you can buy is just amazing yeah it's it's really it's that classic apple thing as well of it being really intuitive and user-friendly so it can i guess be a really easy way in as a composer or as a producer um to actually just get in there and start playing around and realizing quite quickly how powerful it it can be yeah it's an, it's an incredible tool i mean as i said it's the same with keyboards where it's likely that you you probably on a day-to-day basis only use so much of what its actual power is um, I remember watching a tutorial. I was trying to learn how to make white noise for something, and um, it, it brought me into all the, the, these little corridors and rooms and logic I just didn't know were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really exciting, and I definitely encourage anybody to investigate it. Get a free trial and and just have a play around and see what it see what it's got. 
because it's so powerful, but as you say, really user friendly and accessible. Yeah. And I think as if you're starting out in a career in music, having the skills of being able to use this software that, you know, music is as an industry is moving so far into technology now in all different areas that being able to understand that and, and use it efficiently is, is going to be really important. It already is important, but I think that the, the more we continue down that path, the more important it'll become. Definitely. And at least to have an awareness of it as well is important. I mean, I don't, I think as an MD, it's absolutely, I mean, it's useful to be able to do lots of things um, and have a knowledge of lots of things. I don't think you necessarily need to know how to do every tiny little thing within logic or main stage, but certainly having an understanding of the software, even within a show context, something goes down, you can figure out what troubleshoot it um, because you know the basics of it is important. Yeah, rather than having to wait for someone from the sound department to arrive and fix it for <laughs> you, you can you can sort it yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, amazing. Lindsay, thanks so much. That's all been really, really interesting. I'd love to just finish off by asking you like a few, not quick fire, but a, a bit more concise uh, questions. Um, mm-hmm. And the first one is if you could give a single piece of advice to your younger self or someone similar starting out on a career path in in music, what would it be? It would be to trust yourself and own who you are. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Just do your thing. Yeah. Do you you think you're able to do that now? I don't know if anybody's able to do that all of the time. I think everybody has moments where they feel doubt and feel weakness and that's part of it as well. But I definitely feel stronger than I did and mm. I think it's taken a lot of time for that to land yeah. um it's easier said than done <laughs> yeah I think what you said earlier was a really good point as well about focusing less on what other people can do and you can't but and actually just looking at what your strengths are and you find that those strengths are different to what other people have so it's a really it's really easy to spend your life comparing yourself to other people especially in an industry that is so not well relatively saturated and competitive certainly competitive yeah absolutely 100 percent um is there a single memorable or pivotal moment in your life or career where it changed the course of everything for you career-wise or or that just really stands out as being a moment of um euphoria or joy at what you were doing i think definitely sitting in the md chair at rsc on on stage on this balcony at the same level as a, as a dress circle, just looking down at these actors in the most beautiful costumes and wigs with an accordion strapped to me, just <laughs> going like, this is just amazing. Um, yeah. Like what an unbelievable privilege to be part of that and to walk down the corridor and to see the names of these amazing artists that have worked there. Definitely. Well, fingers crossed you get back there as soon as possible. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, And do you have any recommendations for listeners? And that doesn't have to be music related at all, just something that's influential in your life that you think people should um, spend a bit of time looking into. Something that I always make sure to incorporate into my like daily life or as much as possible is mindfulness and um, meditation and that doesn't necessarily mean sitting on a cushion and uh, and meditating it can just be from when I drink a cup of coffee actually tasting it and taking a moment just to 
ground myself or going for a walk and feeling what my feet feel like on the ground. Um, I think it's really easy when you're so busy all the time to just be thinking about that email you haven't replied to or what you're going to cook for your dinner or what you haven't done yet or all of those things, which is only natural, but it's it can become habitual if you don't break that cycle. And um, I really enjoy reading books by Elizabeth Gilbert, who famously wrote Eat, Pray, Love, but she's written a brilliant book about creativity called Big Magic. Um, there's, uh, I love reading Tony Robbins stuff. I really enjoy just, I mean, you can't not watch that man speak and not feel inspired to do anything afterwards. Yeah. Um, so those are definitely my main things. Amazing. And just finally, where can people find you online? And can you just give us like a quick lowdown on your forthcoming book as well so that people have that information? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter at lindsaymiller87. And you can also find me at my website, which is www.lindsaymiller.net. And um, absolutely anyone who want to get in touch and have a chat, by all means, I'd be really glad to talk to anybody who's got an interest in theatre or just wants to have a conversation over a coffee. Um, and the book is called North Korea Like Nowhere Else, Two Years Living in the World's Most Secretive State um, by obviously me. <laughs> and it's out on the 6th of May um, 2021. And you can currently pre-order it at Waterstones on Amazon and other uh, foils and other bookshops um, online. Amazing. That's so exciting. I'm going to go and pre-order my copy now because I can't wait to read Yay. that. Um, One sold. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. I've, I've absolutely loved catching up with you and hearing more about your, your story. And I think you've given great advice there. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Thank you. No, thanks for asking. Thanks again to Lindsay um, and there's a link in the description of this episode which will direct you to her forthcoming book. Don't forget that if you enjoyed the episode you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes as soon as they become available. Each week I chat to a different professional musician about their career so far and I've got a really interesting list of people coming up in the next few weeks. The best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends in order to spread the word. So any retweets or sharing on Facebook is hugely appreciated. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great week. Mm -hmm.